0: Hi, I'm Jason. I'm Paul. And this is the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast.
1: This week we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 19, Heart of Glory.
0: We are full on in Klingon culture and uh quite a bit of backstory for Worf in this episode yeah so, so, um, so. joining us for such an honorable episode is perhaps one of our most honorable guest hosts uh Mr. Oslick. thank you for coming back to the show hello my countrymen <laughs> does your so heart happy. yearn to fly free it does I bend no knee there are um there are so many like mixed metaphors in this episode (laughs) it's kind of amazing really yeah
2: they uh, quite figured out what to do but uh, they're getting there
0: yeah yeah exactly the um so this this episode just i guess in brief is is uh it's a ship full of klingons what do we do with them um is basically the plot synopsis we start with um the Enterprise responding to... I mean, it's a distress call, I think, right, is why they're flying into the neutral zone? Because yeah. they, they name drop the neutral zone again.
1: It feels like right. the
2: Kobayashi Maru, really. Yeah, it does, actually. It's a it, it's a scenario that came to mind when I thought about yeah. this, too.
1: It's like yeah, there's yeah. a ship on the other side of the neutral zone that uh, um, is, has a distress signal, and they're picking up weird readings, damaged, all that sort of stuff.
0: Right, right, right. And The, the thing that I found interesting is that they... Um, Again, one of the last people that you would expect, if you were yeah. uh, a Star Trek fan, to get name checked in this situation, <laughs> the Ferengi get name checked mm-hmm. right away. Where they're like, "Oh, the Ferengi could be here," and it's right. that's probably the one thing other than like the uniforms and the beardless Riker that like sets this episode squarely in season one because yeah. that is not going to be a thing that happens for much yeah. longer. <laughs> and and well, you know, it's you know, it's a
2: wharf episode because the he's they turn to him and he goes. They ask him, like, "What is this? What are the scans say?" He says, um, "A battle!" Like he's, he's excited. He, uh, he wants it to be one. He wants to run into. I hope it's. I hope people are. You know, there's debris or something. Like, I yes. can't wait to touch it.
0: You can literally <laughs> see the "save some for me" on his face. Like as they as they talk to him about that. Um, and they discover this freighter, which has just been really beat up. And and I think it was kind of a cool angle that they were. Trying to figure out what, uh, you know, who might have damaged this freighter, and they kind of throw out the Romulans.
1: Yeah, and that that's a weird reference too, right? So it probably as weird as the Ferengi reference, but for the opposite reasons, because they say, uh, I think Picard says, like, "Oh, the Romulans. That's a that's a name we haven't heard in a long time." It's like, "Oh, oh, really? <laughs> like we hear about yeah. them all the time." Yep. Uh, it just feels out of out of place. That, but. Again, in this time period, it would have been a while. Yeah, they're
0: basically teasing, um, which is kind of impressive. They're teasing, uh, I believe, the last episode of this season, uh, episode 26 from, from season one called The Neutral Zone, where they... Uh, have a pretty big unveiling, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them to to kind of drop that breadcrumb this early, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, so, five, um, six episodes away. I mean, that's, that's pretty okay. impressive.
2: Do you think they were thinking, like, if people are seven episodes in, maybe we can do some fan service and, like, drop a name? And they thought, if we do this now, people will, you know, if you know where the Romulans are, then you'll be excited by it. yeah it is Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's it's kind of telling i think that they like name check the thing that they were supposed to debut this season as the big bad like you know oh it could be the ferengi and then that's just thrown out the window like right away (laughs) (laughs) And, and instead it's like well maybe it's the romulans i can imagine an audience at that time who has seen the unveiling of the ferengi and the horrible treatment that they've done with with them and you know then all of a sudden like wait romulans now this is getting good you know like mm-hmm. i think that is probably a nice little little bit of fan service yeah um and the the thing that i thought was kind of cool about this is okay so they find the freighter they got to beam over they got to check out what's going on over there um they they do this cool thing with jordy and his visor <laughs> um for a while <laughs> yeah does take time. so
1: long <laughs> They're constantly, it's like, oh, this ship, uh, it's pretty damaged, could explode at any minute. Like, let's keep dawdling and talking about Jordy's eyes and (laughs) lack of eyes and visor and what he sees. And I mean, it's cool, (laughs) but they kind of oscillate very uh, quickly between life and death situation. The ship's going to explode and, hey... Let's uh, let's burn five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's when when they actually get on the ship. So the th-
2: I, this is an interesting thing, right? It's like Battle Bridge, which is a thing that comes up again in this episode that never comes back later on. I mean, it comes back, but it doesn't come back with the same kind of frequency. So I guess they were trying to st- establish the this visual acuity, acuity transmitter, mm-hmm. and they have yes. all these rules, right? So it can <laughs> only. It's this huge square thing, right? Like, you this is like a <laughs> terrible-looking prop, right? Do you think that they'd be able to make something that looks smaller in the future? But it's like a huge plastic block, and it goes on and off. That's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. yep. And then they try to. They give it rules like it can only go so far. Yeah. Uh,
1: God. They have. The, it can only last for so long. Um, and I think and they brought we, up. They brought up like encryption or encoding. They brought up encoding and like, it's clear that they. This was an error before. Um, Compression of data was really a thing that was done um, extensively, um, and that was, I think, what they they sold the distance on, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The
0: basically, there was so much, <clears throat> there was so much of information being processed through the visor that it was difficult for them to encode, and somehow that led it to be limited in range. I guess <laughs> because that's right. how things work. <laughs> yep, <right. laughs> if if um, you have a 1987 understanding of of data and wireless transmission of data, then sure,
1: that, that probably, probably works. I mean, to some credit, they did just invent periscope, so
0: that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but way to go. Yeah, <laughs> um, it,
2: it, it, yeah, it, it's such an. I mean, well, you know, like they set up all these rules, right? They never do this thing again, right? No, the no, the, no. the visor is like the worst thing that happens to Star Trek at the end of like literally the end of the whole. Shebang for TNG. It's the thing that destroys the entire enterprise. So they're amazed by the ability of this of Geordi, right? So they go over and, as Paul was saying, it's like life or death situation. It could be a Kobayashi Maru, and then there's like wonder music in the background, like, <laughs> like, and 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 it and Picard is like under his breath, like his best sort of Shakespearean, like, extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. I'm now I'm beginning to understand him.
0: He actually like, what, he he what, checks what's that. What's that over there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What is it? He actually says, like, literally as the view screen materializes into existence, like, now I'm beginning to understand you. You know, and it's like, <laughs> really? We're doing this now? Like, my favorite part of this whole interchange is, like, so this is happening, and then it's like, oh, it's fascinating. What's that? Oh, my gosh. What's that? Oh, my gosh. What's that? Literally, Riker is kind of acting as the audience in this case. Like, he's the one who's like, <laughs> we got a mission. like <laughs> He's just standing there. He, he actually says, like, I hate to break this up, but. And I'm like, yes, Riker. Yeah. Yes, you you should. Well done. Yeah
2: it's like they're playing with a toy and Riker's like, I have business." business.
1: Well, you, know you just you think you would have tested this. I'm sure Geordi tested it. But I'm sure he could have given, given Picard a um, demo of this like on the ship. Right? Yeah. He could have just walked around like engineering and looked at the warp core and, and like, <laughs> oh, that's what the warp core looks like to you, right? Like it's just out of place. Yeah. Uh, even yeah. though it is a cool scene.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. It, it was, and I think it was bit largely there just to give some perspective to Jordy and his experience and, and you know, how he's, to try to put the audience in his literal shoes i think for a second or in this case in his visor uh despite how
2: long this sounds like the the, our conversation uh the scene that involves them discussing all this is like 10 times longer than (laughs) they're they're probably still talking
0: yeah it's probably the first i mean it it felt like it was the first third of the episode it wasn't but it 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 kind of felt
1: like that well the whole ship part i think really was uh-huh, that's true. I would not be shocked that the ship part was 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, right? it was um, because, I mean, they basically spent a ton of time, you know, what's this? Oh, my gosh, here's some debris. What's that? Oh, metal fatigue. The door.
1: Yeah. You know, those are toxic gases. Oh, we've got three paths. Which one's quickest? Yeah. Right, right. same, but, mobile, then, but which the quickest? Right, because they're like,
2: yeah. it's, it's hot here. Okay, so everyone know that it's hot, right? And They're, like, wiping their brows and their... <laughs> So, oh, we have to, and they are about to walk into this foam, right? And they—they're like they cover their eyes or whatever it is, and they like pretend that it's really hot. You can like you can see yep. them acting, um, trying really hard uh, to to make
1: this to make the set work to really sell it.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I think yeah. at some point they say like there's toxic gases like a few feet away, and they're like, well, I guess we're safe here. Like, <laughs> it's, like, don't don't toxic gases spread? Like, they they really put themselves into a lot of situations that are weird. And it does. It feels you're you're right. It feels like that sort of oh we just we're pretending like the floor is lava. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Don't very touch very much the lava. Weird.
0: Don't touch the hot lava. <laughs> well and, and my favorite uh my favorite exchange is like I think right before they get to the locked door and find, you know, the the Klingons and we're off to the actual episode proper. They have that really weird exchange where they ask about the best route and mm-hmm. data says they're all equivalent and then Jordy like literally reiterates the same question from the opposite yep. perspective where he's like, yeah, but data, which one is the least dangerous? And he's like, I just said they were all equal. Yeah, like
1: he says, like, they're not significantly different, Jordy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like,
0: I just said that. did I stutter? You know, is probably the next thing that data could have said. Were he, you know, human? Uh, it was, it was weird was very strange um but then we we find the klingons and uh we beam them over to the enterprise one of them is is critically hurt um he's not gonna make it spoiler alert um but they tell the captain a story basically and the story even you know it's like the shakiest of stories it's like well
2: well, hold on let's go back uh like let's go back three steps because the um this is the first time we ever see Klingons on, on TNG, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, And so, they they begin to establish them as really inscrutable. So like, no, you can't, you're not going to carry him, I'm going to carry him. Like, there's a rule, like, I can't, you can't, Jim. And, right. And it's like, uh, and then this whole tension, they have to get to the spot in the ship, right? And, and they go through all of this damaged stuff and they just run, th- run past it and then there's tension because they don't know whether or not they're going to show up on the on the on the enterprise again right and T'Roy's manning the thi- or not T'Roy but Yar's manning <laughs> and the Troy's thing and it's, Yeah, it's like the ship explodes and you wonder did they make it? Did they save that little box that's going to you know on Geordi's eyes like is it going to work? <laughs> and they make it back and you're like okay, that's great. Um but this is, it begins to sort of like they're trying to establish like there's something weird about Klingons like there there's uh you know they don't you know they've got a thing where that you know, there's some sort of like they're too proud to to, to ask for help or something like that. Um and I think that's that's supposed to be the beginning of this, like, okay, so we it could go a lot easier if these guys were human or if they were something else, right? They'd follow instructions, but um, they're more willing to to stall
1: this process because they've got some sort of honor that they have to uphold, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess the, the point – so the point you made about, like, the carrying thing um, – so that's an interesting way to frame it. That, so I framed it kind of in the later, like, the honor-bound Klingons of more – less of a, like, oh, you can't – touched him or like, but more of a, like, he's my burden. Like he's kind of what you're saying at the end there with honor that like, it's my responsibility to carry this guy. Like I'm not going to let someone else do that because then I'm not doing the honorable thing. Right. Right. Hmm. But, right. but you're right. They're painting an interesting picture of otherness. Right.
0: Well, and I think, cause I, I wrote this down as I was watching the episode, this, I think this episode winds up being, kind of amazingly relevant actually because um, in this season we've seen awkward introductions of you know uh, races of people or or groups or what have you but this is I I think this episode is actually kind of a a primer really for the modern Klingon like this Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. this episode begins to really lay the groundwork for what you know Klingon culture at large will become to be um Mm -hmm. in star trek i mean in Mm -hmm. modern star trek there there's a lot of seeds that they're planting there and i think you're right uh oslik that that's you know some of that's even in just the way they interact with them right at the get-go and and they're they're stubborn and they're um you know that they're a very honorable and ritualistic people um Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's really reflected here
1: and they do a good job of the show don't tell Right. Right. They, they, right. Yes. they don't just say oh we're an honorable people or, or oh I would carry this guy or like I carried this guy it's like no we're going to put them in a situation where this happens and they do it and you see it Yep. Um, which is a, a much better vehicle for this
2: um, right until they start talking about
1: it later and then it turns sure. into a complete mess <laughs> that's fine uh, <mindless>. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> I mean they can't show everything but yeah. Yep. And, and there's certain parts you know they have like uh, Worf's backstory right and they talk about like Where um, Worf was raised Uh It's like okay That's not something You could really show On screen Um, It's something that Worf Can talk about But even the way He talks about it And the the way the Klingons React to it um, Tells a lot about um, Both the Klingon race And how Worf Views himself In that race Yeah Right. Yeah.
0: And, and I think the thing that was really smart about this episode, and, and, you know, we'll kind of skip around a bit because we don't have to, in these synopses, we don't really have to go through the whole episode plot point by plot point. We're really just kind of framing our discussion about it. Um, but I think this episode largely works because it is a vehicle for Michael Dorn and Worf and in a way to to take him from being just this outsider or just this kind of like oddity or sometimes even laugh line. Like sometimes he's literally the punchline because he's, you know, yep. he's Wharf. Ha ha. But put him in a situation where he is amongst his own people. And he's still, you know, a little bit of an outsider because of his backstory. And they do a nice job of of establishing that. And what I liked is, you know, the, his adoptive parents, the farm colony on Galt. Like all of that stuff is things that they build on like later. Uh, within the series you you find out more about his family but it all has its roots in this episode and I, I think a lot of the stuff that works in this episode is is the Michael Dorn wharf centric stuff when he's talking to these other Klingons about what it means to you know to mm-hmm. be Klingon mm-hmm. right um well, and there's a well, lot
1: there and and to some large degree I think so, so one of the things they do well is honor continuity um so if they say something about a race um and I guess maybe the Frangi are the exception. Um, but if they say something, it seems like they follow through on it. Um, and they don't really walk back any of it or retcon anything later. Right. Um, and, and and a good contrast here in this season is um, you know the Betazoids. Um, and in, uh, was it Haven? Is that the someone? <laughs> Can't yep. even remember the name of it. Yep. Um, they came up with so many of these weird rituals and so many of these weird traditions yeah. that felt contrived to the episode, and we're we're plot devices in that singular episode. they're like, well, I guess we just have to honor that for seven seasons, (laughs) and another seven seasons of this show, and another seven of this show, and basically forever. Yep. Um, So when they make a choice, good or bad, they do stick to it. Um, I think they just made good choices here for the Klingons.
2: Well, (laughs) okay, so so the the weird thing is that when so we jump around we jump all the way to when uh, there's the hostage situation Mm -hmm. and Worf says my people don't take hostages but that's the plot of Star Trek 3 is that that dude
1: takes hostages well yeah he was you know Kind of a jerk yeah. yeah he's a jerkling on right <laughs> if
0: you're uh if you're talking about christopher lloyd's portrayal yes. of commander krug uh then <laughs> then yes an eye patch right <laughs> no general chang had an eye patch commander Damn, krug right. uh yeah, yeah. commander krug did not uh man i'm racking up the nerd
1: points of this episode man. <laughs> Fox, not a great movie <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know uh, I won't get into a discussion about Search for Spock, but I will say I think it gets a bad rap. It's not the it best.
1: It, it's not the worst. Yeah, but it's not the worst. It's yeah. not the best. But it's probably somewhere in the middle there.
0: But I would say even uh, us, like, yes, that is the plot of of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. However, um, they the the crew of that Klingon Bird of Prey is considered an outcast crew, and they're uh, you know, so I mean, it's possible that they're. Um, not exactly the most honorable group of folks because they're acting as as renegades from the Klingon Empire. So true, true, um, true, true, true. And they
2: they do give the kid back, right? I mean, maybe these are, uh, Worf always approaches the these the two what are what's their name like, uh, uh, chorus and 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 Kodos, right? Like the the, the commander and the lieutenant. Uh, Conmel. Uh, Con <laughs> Con Mel. Mel. Conmel. Yeah. Because he, he treats them like you can reason with them, right? Like he always tries to talk them into uh, uh, change your mind. Like the here's, you should really uh, 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 see the error of your ways, right? He treats them as if, um, and one wonders if you had a wharf in Star Trek three, if they could have negotiated with 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 Krug, but you know he was like going to blow up everything. So, um, and Christopher Lloyd, I mean, you know. know.
0: <laughs> I, I kind it's of want deep. to just insert random clips of Commander Krug from Star Trek Three throughout this. Let <laughs> I me mean, go
1: nuts. He's Get, nuts. Out. Get, out <laughs> Get out! Get out of there! Get out! Get out of there! Get
0: out! Yeah, and the oh. um, the the part where he's got Kirk.
1: And-
2: Give me Genesis! Uh.
1: Uh, oh man uh well, that is a good backstory on the Klingon screaming um they scream several times in this episode yep um to to warn the dead that a Klingon warrior is coming, which is a uh, another like interesting tradition that they they yeah. they use to paint um, this this hard set mentality of this this species, right? Uh, about how they view death, uh, which tells you something very very deep about a species. And it's consi- it's internally consistent too, right? I mean,
2: uh, every Klingon the, when 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 the Doctor asks or when um, when the Captain asks, like, what should we do with the body? Um, Chorus says it's an empty shell, and you can dispose of it as you see, as you would with an empty shell, right? And when Chorus dies at the end of the episode, Worf says exactly the same thing, right? Like there's a there's a ritual response, there's a uh, there's Mm -hmm. a pattern, right? It's very well, it's internally consistent with this ritual, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you really get a sense like, oh, this really is a thing, right? It's not just some whim and Worf really is Klingon, right? He's, he believes it, right? He, mm-hmm. uh, he makes him part of this group. It gives him a sense that he belongs. Um, and it really works. I mean, it's a, it's a nice little thing and they keep doing it throughout all of Star Trek, right? Um, uh, from this point on.
0: Well, and I think mm-hmm. this is probably the first episode that maybe, um, <clears throat> they don't explore it in a whole lot of detail, um, largely because I think this will evolve over time and they, they also focused on different things. But it kind of hints at the Klingons not only being an honorable people, but also a very uh, very actually spiritual people mm-hmm. um, just in the way that they deal with their death rituals. I mean, literally, you know, to say that it's to warn the dead that a Klingon warrior has arrived. So, I mean, right there that says they not only have an afterlife, but they're so concrete about their afterlife that their rituals literally involve you know, commuting and warning with, you know, commuting with and warning the dead, you know? Right, 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 um, right, right. Which gets to be, I mean, eventually when they start to build off of, of that stuff, I mean, the the Klingon pantheon and, and the Klingon, like, you know, uh, afterlife stuff is actually yeah. some of my favorite it's stuff.
1: Stobacore. Stovacore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not good. I mean, Stovacore. Right, right.
0: There's Worf at one point has a line in Deep Space Nine, which is one of my favorite lines in all of, of Trek, just because it makes me like, it makes me scoff, you know, every time when he says it, but... uh you know, somebody says something in effect of like something about their gods, and Worf just responds with, "We slew our gods. You know, they were they were more trouble than what they were worth,
1: or something like that." Something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I'm like that's such a Klingon response, where it's just like, "Our gods were too much trouble, so we killed them all." <laughs> and, and you know, it's it's
2: an interesting contrast between the Worf that we'll see in Deep Space Nine and this Worf, because you know, granted, like they're going to add a lot more, several more layers to the religion. Uh, the Klingon religion, right? They'll talk about Sovokor and they'll talk about um, uh, what's his face who fought with his brother. And, and now it makes well, more yeah, sense yeah, when yeah. Alexander's like, why? <laughs> like, shut up, audience. Like, let me just yeah. tell the story and sets so the backstage. Oh, backstory. you're
0: talking about uh, like Kales and Kales fighting. Yeah, K-less exactly, K-less. exactly. Yep.
2: And, and, and yep. they don't mention any of this here because it hadn't been invented yet, I suspect. And and what well, I think it it also demonstrates in some sense that Worf over time becomes more of a spiritual guy. Right, yep. he changes a lot from this wharf, where he's sort of young and and and, and has dealt with his, you know, his upbringing at Galt. Uh, that he is uh, uh, still Klingon; he still has these feelings. But then over time, he starts to uh, become more of like a Zen master. You know, he's always spiritual. He's doing his Klingon Tai Chi. Yep. Um, <laughs> and this is a very different wharf that we see here. It's a much well, younger wharf. It is. It's a
1: very young, young wharf here. Yeah. Yep.
0: yeah. yeah. He's almost a kind of like young and brooding. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and what I, what I appreciate about, uh, Michael Dorn is that in interviews he has, has basically stated that like with Worf and the character of Worf, uh, of Worf, he tried to literally like kind of add a piece on like every year so that there was another dimension or another thing to work with, with the character Mm -hmm. And I think that becomes uh, really apparent as time goes on because he's literally, like, I think he's clocked in as, you know, by far the character who has the most screen time with with all of Trek. I mean, really. Oh. Just because he has all of TNG. He has most of Deep Space Nine. He has all of the feature films. You know, I mean, he's got two series and, and, and quite a lot of films under his belt. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, you get to see that long progression. Um, mm mm-hmm. And a lot of this, you know, the plot to this episode is really um, there's not a lot of plot points to it. It's basically like the Klingons, what they're up to, the, the mystery behind it, and then, you know, apprehending them basically. But but it's all well, there as kind of set dressing for this stuff that we're talking about here. And and, and we
1: should say that the the way this plays out is that it's um, you know they they kind of lie and say um, you know something happened to this like we had to get on this freighter we were attacked. And then very quickly, once they have wharf in their quarters, they say, no, that's a lie. Like, right, right, yep. we right. We right. are, um, uh, I don't know if they say fugitives, rebels, or they use a different term. Um, but that they were basically stealing a ship to go and find adventure, because they find peace to be, um in, in, well, in Klingon, a, a bad way to die. Yeah. yep. Um, yep.
2: And it makes it, the heart wither and die. Yes.
1: Yeah. They. Uh,
0: what's the line that one of them says too? Where, um, you know, we were we were sold like the lie of peace, so that um, so that we can die in our sleep. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and basically like just the beginning of portraying that entire idea of, you know, the struggle of the Klingon culture with peacetime and mm-hmm. and how they reconcile that. And what's amazing to me is um, that is such a plot thread that that runs through the course of yeah. all of Star Trek. Trek. I mean, it's... And you see it pretty much here. I mean, I think this is really the genesis of that idea um, in this episode, but it informs... I mean, almost every Klingon episode we'll see, you know, after this one. It involves um, a ton of stuff that you'll see in Deep Space Nine. Like, that is a that's a really heavy thread at a really big struggle that you'll see a lot
1: of Klingons deal with. Well, and isn't it, isn't, it, yeah. isn't the, the series that was really, uh, that they're doing, what, in a year or so, isn't that, that's taking place right after the Klingon piece, right?
0: That's the rumor. That's not okay, confirmed. That's yeah. Okay.
1: But I mean, that, the, that, speaks to the fact, if it is true of how much there is really to mine here, yep. um, on that idea of the contrast between humans and Klingons. Yep. Yeah. Which is very, very interesting.
2: Yes. Now on that on that scene itself, so it's like a lot of this episode, the payoff is really good, but it takes forever. Oh yeah. It does. And you're like, why are you talking about this? And they're they're sitting at the meal and you'll see this again when, when Worf and his brother meet in season three or four, right? Like he's trying to get a rise out of him. And Worf takes a lot better in this scene than he will in the future. Um but he's like, are you insulting me? And I just wanted to see if it would work. And he's like, yes, it does. And that's all, like, he doesn't flip over a table or anything like that. And they go on to these, we, we've, we've touched on, like, the core of what they've talked about, but the, there's so many mixed metaphors here. And they talk about um, hunters and having, uh, the blood of a hunter, and didn't you feel the beating of your heart to go out into the wild <laughs> yep. and fly like a bird? And, and it's just all these really weird, like, combinations of things that it's sort of away from the honor stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. so there's the thing about you, like, you know, it's like I still have those feelings, but I can, I don't, I control them. They don't control me, right? And it's all these, like, uh, chiasma, chiasma sentences that Warf Mor- has through sort of the sentence, like, the, the episode where he's like flipping the lines around, like, um, but there's this is sort of uh, um, the scene, like it takes forever. Uh, but it's so they're they're but they're all they're doing is talking. And 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 Paul mentioned this before. This is really like at the at the end of the payoff is really nice. Like oh, I see what the point is here, right? And they reveal to him this is why we did this, right? And um, and at the end, they're uh, in in really TNG fashion. They're all uh, in in a sort of a convivial mood, right? Like they've shared their feelings, <laughs> and they know, now they know where they stand. He's like, hey, uh, you want to give me a tour? He's like okay
0: <laughs> that was the part that I found the most jarring like especially because I, I just watched it this this like midday again and they were basically like within the same breath they were talking about you know how ridiculous this life is and how they must fly free and search for conquest uh and basically run off you know and then they're like oh yeah can we also have a tour you know and it's like well, just without hesitation Worf is like yes you know it's like so
1: wait. The way I viewed that, so so I was reading that as um, the sort of subtext that they were laying down. That um, the the way that the, it is so quick uh, from one from A to B, really sort of implies that they're subtly asking him if they'll he'll help them, right? Help help them get a shuttle, get something, get away from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and to some degree, maybe even. Uh, Inviting him along for that journey, which they eventually do. Right, that's their intention. I, but yeah. part of it wonders if Wharf gets it. Well, and that's a question, right? That's, that is a question there. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: the way the scene is constructed, it's it's. I could see it going either way because mm-hmm. um, it's not entirely clear. Because Worf agrees to it pretty fast, and I would not paint Worf as being a naive person but it is a really quick pivot and you kind of wonder what his game was. What, what wharfs motivation for just being like,
1: yes. My read was that he's conflicted. They've just, he has not seen Klingons in, um, I I don't know that they say he has since Kittimer. Um, and so he's basically has this choice and, and this is the first time he's getting to see his people, um, and in, in, he's conflicted. He's not going to just turn them in right away, and he doesn't. Right. He right. gets information that is is damning. That they are lying to the captain. Uh, he could just hit his combat and call security, and he doesn't. Yeah. Um, he he takes him on a tour, um, and he plays along for longer than you would expect anyone else on the ship to do. Right. Right. And right. and it's painting that struggle, that inner struggle that he's having between the people who have raised him and the people that, um, that birthed him.
0: Yeah. 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 I think Um, I, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, It's, it just, I think (laughs) they spent a little bit less time with the, um, the metaphorical delivery of all of their lines and a little bit more time on the <laughs> yeah that's fair on, on focusing on that i think it would have been clearer in that scene but yeah i i do think you're right that's probably it
1: is definitely the case that they had some time to burn in this episode right yeah Just, there was you know a good 10 minutes of visor talk Yep. right yep they they came up short on the script and then started <laughs> throwing stuff in
0: they filled the break right
1: yeah yeah right.
0: and they basically get um, you know, the I don't want to spend a whole lot of time you know wrapping the episode because it's really I mean they have the tour, they run into the kid, they have that that exchange where you know, it's believed, oh my God, they're gonna take a hostage, and that's where you know my people do not take hostages.
1: Well, because the enterprise right. runs into a Klingon ship that is looking for these, yes, yeah, right? and, and so, the guys
0: the guys
2: like uh, he was on fire. Uh, for a bit, and now he's the fire was put out because he's covered in smoke. Um, where there's lots <laughs> of dust on the bridge, right? <laughs>
0: well, that's just what Klingon bridges are like. Yep. That's, that's my favorite, like season one TNG trope, where it's like we don't have
1: the money for a set, like not Man. even at all.
0: So we're just gonna what put them against a monochrome background. And
1: Oh, like, it was the Fringy the first time where they just had a flat white background, literal white screen. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> in like a photo studio. You yeah. want to... but they do have they do
2: have both of the. I mean, just to underscore the tension, right? They have um, both the Federation and the Klingon Empire symbols behind the um, the the um, the captain, right? Uh-huh. The captain of the Klingon ship, and he speaks as if he's like he. And it, when they talk later on in the episode too, it's uh, he's sort of like weary, like he knows that he has to kind of put up with this, mm-hmm. but it's the wave of the future, right? And so having that. Sort of underscores the point, right? That um, this is this is what it is now, and they're going to come and take him because this is our job, right? And he says, "Hey, do you want me to come and get him?" And and oh,
1: Picard yeah. says, "Oh, well, we can handle it."
2: And mm.
1: that was a really good exchange between Picard and because um, so they um, they capture them, right? So Picard sends Tasha to capture them. They almost take a hostage. They capture them. They're in um, the brig. They break out with the weirdest gun ever. It's um, <laughs> really, really But then Picard has to come on and say, because like, um, the other captain is like, hey, are you going to send those guys? You said you had them. Yeah. And Picard says, well, they escaped. And he, the, the Klingon captain very coyly says, "Like, well, the, you know they are Klingon. Like, yeah. That might be too much for you. It wouldn't be dishonorable for you to ask for help. Like, I'm not offering help, but if you were to ask, I would certainly provide it.
0: Uh
1: Uh, And Picard says, you know, effectively, I think we can handle it. Um, But it's a very, another one of those contrasting exchanges between, like, you see what the Klingon is getting at, and you see that Picard, you know, doesn't want to ask for that help, even though... Like well, you know, maybe they could be useful, but and and
2: Worf talks to the captain too. He actually steps. Yeah. Right, this is before all of the the, the this stuff, and he says, "I want to talk to." Him. And he talks about honor and dishonor, which will become core points, right? Like he's, saying, "Let them die an honorable death. Let them, let them be free, right? Let them fly free," he says <laughs> once.
1: <his> death, <laughs> let right? them
0: fly free. Yeah, and I think you know, he's
1: um, basically advocating that they just put them on a planet, you know, uh, with lots of animals and stuff and let them <laughs> on, the, on the holly system, it sounds yeah. like a nice place. This, this um, is
0: horrible because what went through my head when that whole thing was happening was like the conversation you have with a child when like the dog has to be put down and it's like, <laughs> no, no, buddy, no. He's going to go to a farm and he's just going to be able to run <laughs> and, and just run. take him to the holly system. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to take him to the holly system and he'll fly free. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, oh no, oh, t- those Klingons are dead, man. They're dead. <laughs> and they do die.
2: I mean, yes. one of them dies on the escape, right? And uh, and you have to like shoot him like tw- a thousand, like yeah, ten yeah, times. Like yeah.
0: <laughs> At that point, I was like, okay, I get it. They're tough, but come on, now, you know. I was like, they're not a. It's not a Borg drone you're shooting there. It's a. It's a Klingon. Come on, come on. Um, but then, yeah, the. Um, so that was Conmel who got shot down just right after busting out, basically. And then uh, like some cheese. Conmel cheese oh. yes and then Hex, uh,
2: Rotel Rotel whatchamacallit.
0: That <laughs> and then Chorus uh, is the one who gets to the um, who gets to the warp core basically and holds the warp core hostage <laughs> which yeah.
1: I have to say we get to see again that it's powered by the Triforce still there yep, yep. just That's an right. update <laughs> the beating heart of the Enterprise still the Triforce
0: <laughs> and then like you think Worf is gonna like talk him down but he basically just like shoots him <laughs> oh man it was
1: so it's so you know Captain Mal or Indiana Jones, where it's yes. just like, they're talking. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? Like, blah, blah, blah. And where it's just like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Shoots him point <laughs> blank.
2: The traitors of Kling, something about meat I wrote here, like, they don't <laughs> want meat on their bones or they want to take... Meat from their bones. Yeah, they're still using like those that. metaphors,
1: yep Yeah.
0: He, uh, chorus says, I would rather die here than let the traitors of Kling pick the meat from my bones. Oh, um, that's what yeah. And, and I i wrote that line down because a couple of reasons. One, it's the same kind of like hack poetry that we've been hearing from these Klingons for the entire episode. <laughs> But also, <laughs> the traitors of Kling, I had to look this up. I'm like, what the hell is Kling? Like, I get it, they're Klingons, but that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. And apparently the writer of that line in this episode uh, intended for Kling to be the name of the Klingon homeworld, which up to this point had not been uh. named.
1: <laughs> That's so, terrible.
0: But it was later <laughs> wow. officially labeled as Kronos um, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. That's the first time we hear it. Oh, That's right. And
2: he calls them countrymen. This is where I keep getting this countryman thing. Like, <laughs> yes. My countrymen. It's not a country. It's a well. I mean, whatever. Right? Bad yeah. poetry, like you said. Yeah.
0: Uh, I will only uh, talk to, to my countrymen.
2: Yeah. Right. Oh no, it's you have true. to get Pass- off your knees and soar. This. I. I wish Klingons would talk about soaring more often. Yeah. It makes them a little bit more. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I, I. I. If one metaphor should have survived this episode, it's the. Uh, um, get off your knees and soar. We uh, <laughs> don't ever see that anymore. It gets lost in the. Uh, in the in a much better formality very sort of legal uh, the the Klingon legalese and all of that stuff but get off your knees and soar is a nice sentiment right like uh,
0: <laughs> that literally it fits well in this episode and it fits well in like Wicked the musical like both I mean it would it would work in both both venues I think
1: uh, let, let me tell you if, uh, if you're looking for more Klingon poetry uh-huh. uh, Google's your friend not surprisingly.
0: Oh sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh sure. Just
1: spend some time on there. Be careful how
0: many pages deep you go in that poetry. Well, that's right. You might one...
1: start you might start to uh, hurl heavy objects. If you just you know, if you just search for Klingon poetry, the first hit is actually in Klingon and then has a translation. Huh.
0: Huh. <laughs> well it loses something in the translation, but it's there for that's... those of you who aren't up with, on your Klingon. <laughs> because
2: you know you know the challenge really is inside. Um, it's in here. It's in here. Yes. It's in here. Yeah,
0: Dorn does we a Talk heck of about a job. legends
2: and songs, but what about oh, And this is where, I guess <laughs> the thing he adds in the future episodes is he doesn't, like, make his face into a duck face when he talks. So he <laughs> comes out funny, like, <laughs> like he's pushing it through his, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like... But anyway. like I war- think some of that better. was
0: um, was the prosthesis that he had for his fangs. Um, oh. Because there's some, like, orthodontic kind of, like, just fitting stuff that he's got over his teeth to give him Klingon fangs. And I think he made reference that in the first couple of seasons it was actually kind of hard to talk uh, while wearing the fangs. So it's probably why he says duty, you know, when he's, <laughs> in honor. he's literally right. talking through the teeth. It would be like, Trying to act wearing novelty vampire teeth—that <laughs> like, would be a little tough, I would think.
2: The challenge literally is inside. <laughs> the challenge <laughs> is in here, and he points to his
0: teeth. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And uh, yeah, he—he he, Captain Mal blasts, uh, you know, chorus, and he crashes oh, through plate glass,
2: <laughs> dangerously. Oh be man! That stuff that in the, in the in, well,
1: so just... so he's on the second floor, right? And he shoots him, and he basically just falls like. Like a tree, just feet, just head down, just not a far distance. And that breaks the floor. Yep. And then he falls a full story to another glass floor. <laughs> <laughs> and that one doesn't break. <laughs> break. <It's> <laughs> a- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we just put, we put the cheap stuff up on the second floor.
0: <laughs> yeah, nobody's supposed to go up there. Oh God, is yeah. somebody up there? Oh, it's terribly dangerous. Yeah,
1: you, <laughs> no one should but be what up a great, there. What a great shot
2: because oh, it's get an amazing shot underneath the uh the, yeah, yeah. the thing, right? So he breaks through and he lands thing. right on his yeah. face first into the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. They um,
1: did some great cinematography there too because then Ruff Worf rushes down, holds his eyes open and screams. But they do the camera, the you know pull back in stages of yeah. him screaming with a fairly poor dub over it. Um, but it, it sells the point, right? It sells yeah. the point of the episode. It's yeah. Yeah. Up.
0: yeah. And, and it's, uh, it brings the, the episode to a nice, you know, tidy little close. So it was a little long in some areas and a little bit too, uh, you know, waxy philosophical in some areas, but I think, you know, by and large, this is a really good episode. And and strangely, um, for somebody just watching um I think it would be an important one. Yeah.
1: And yeah. Uh, and
0: we can get to that here uh in, in just a bit but uh um I think we should probably talk a little bit about bests and worsts. Um yep. Unless we have um, a couple of things, I do want to point out. Uh, I guess a few quick facts. We were talking about, uh, you know, the the traitors of Kling, and that that was supposed to be the name of the homeworld. It wasn't. Apparently, the Star Trek Encyclopedia lists Kling as the name of the first city uh, on on, mm. on Kronos. So they kind of retconned that in because otherwise it doesn't make any sense in the episode but I guess that's not considered canon since the reference is never, ever heard from again. But uh-huh. but there you go. Uh, Jordy LaForge's visor, camera Dealey, is uh, never seen again in the way that it is in this <laughs> episode, although we do see a video feed hooked up to his visor again in uh, Star Trek Generations, because uh, that is right. literally the plot device that Dr. Soren uses to blow up the Enterprise-D. Uh,
1: well, and, uh, I mean, we see through it a lot of other times as an audience, just not as as you know him putting yes. it on a screen yeah, yeah. exactly it's
2: right. not it's not a really smart thing to do like you wonder like the most hackable thing in the uh, in, in 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 the star trek universe is capture geordie when he's going on vacation <laughs> uh <laughs> yep. reprogram his visor so that it shows you what you want to see and then blow things up um you know and and the the interesting thing is every time they do it again like i think the romulans do it right like there's some weird plot where they take him out of vacation he can't remember that he went yep. and then and then star trek generations right they don't have to plug in a giant box to make it work yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. this yeah. is a, a this this visual acuity transmitter um is is not state of the art in the next how many more star dates uh, yeah. Um,
0: yeah it quickly uh, gets outpaced uh yeah <laughs> yep, exactly um the uh this is interesting the um while in sickbay, Captain Picard mistakenly refers to the freighter they encountered as a Torellian freighter rather than a Talarian ship. Hmm. Um, they they actually goof that a couple of times because it's supposed to be Talarian. Uh, they actually say Talarian multiple times. Um, while let's see the uh, the Klingon battle cruiser that uh, that they see on the view screen, that's actually stock footage from Star Trek the Motion Picture, uh, repurposed for that. Um, hmm. So they just, <laughs> we don't have to shoot a whole new thing. We've got something laying around. That'll be just fine. Uh, this f- episode is also the first reference to the Talarians, uh, who do not appear again until the season four episode, Suddenly Human. Um, I think that's the one where they think Picard has a son, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then, while investigating the damaged freighter, a matte painting that was originally made for Star Trek The Motion Picture can briefly be seen over uh, Geordie's shoulder. Um, it is. It's a matte painting that was in engineering um, that was supposed to show like the rest of the engineering deck. Like if you remember the warp core in in Star Trek: The Original Motion Picture, then it runs like horizontally back <laughs> through the ship. Yeah. There's a big matte painting that's supposed to be like, look how far it goes. Um, um, they reused that to make the freighter look bigger. Huh. Uh, basically. Cool. Yeah. So a couple of interesting data points. Wait, so. sud-
2: suddenly human? That's the one where like Jonathan Brandis. <laughs> Isn't that like there's some like blonde kid who's supposed to like take it away <laughs> and he's like Picard has to fence him and tell him like human boys fence all the time or something
0: yeah, like that. Yes. That it does sound okay. right. Yeah. It's not it's, Jonathan yeah. not The, someone, the someone Enterprise responds kid. to a distress call from a Talarian vessel. They rescue five teenage members, four of whom are Talarian and one human named Jono. And uh, oh, Jono. yep, that's who you're talking about. The, uh, okay. And that's, that's who Picard has the conversation with human boys and how they fence. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, so. dear Jono, (laughs) here's how you human. Um, So to, um, to kind of frame this episode, let's talk about our best and worst and let's each of us do a best and a worst. Um, And since, uh, since you are our guest, Oslick, uh, you can go first and you can either start with your best or your worst, but give us both.
2: You know, I think I always give these away by the time I get to the end of these podcasts. Because uh-huh. the best is the it's the it's the terrible poetry. Um, I <laughs> like it a lot. Um, it I wish they had maintained this uh, creativity, uh, if you could call it that. I know you could call it that. It's it's nice. I mean, fly free, uh, my my countrymen, fly free. Um, the worst has to be the fifteen minutes it takes them to explain how the visual cutie transmitter operates yep. and how they try to make it a thing and how. It's so amazing to Picard that he can see like what's what's that? Oh, it's the outline and then Geordi goes in his like best reading rainbow laugh like That's cap that's 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 data Captain Picard. And it's like <laughs> But what? you don't like, have to take
0: my word for it. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> that's what I would think is the worst part of this. Episode.
1: Paul, how about you? Ah <laughs> uh, the worst. I think I have a. Well, I have a few. Um, oh, and I just had one. And I'm forgetting it. No. Um, well, then I'll go with my second. Um, Tasha's not used well here. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. She's really just. Uh, you try to put somebody else in her shoes, and on the on the bridge, like she asks Picard's permission to like. Be on the security team. Can
0: I do my in job? A really
1: weird way. Yeah. And then in the hallway, it's like she really overreacts. Like she calls in a hostage. Like immediately. Yes. Um. And then it's like, oh well, that didn't happen. And then I guess we didn't really do anything.
2: <laughs> and she she collapses on Worf. And says, "Oh my god, I thought we had a situation." Yeah. And then Worf turns her and goes. Oh!
1: Oh! No. <laughs> <Did we? laughs> oh! I remembered my worst. Uh, my actual worst was that that stupid gun they put together with their belt buckles and stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Pretty. Yeah. So there you go. Your best. Ah man, I just love so much of this episode. Um, even though it's well, oh boy, I, it's just got to be the the fact that we're getting to see Klingons. Yeah. And yeah. it's pretty straightforward. it's mm-hmm. pretty overarching. Um, there's just a lot of fun there and some of it is the bad poetry and some of it is all over the place. but yeah, yeah it's uh, it's that they do it right. They've yeah. done it wrong a few times. they do it right here they've they done good, they've done good. Yep. Um,
0: my my worst would have to be if um if you remember during the hour long visor sequence um <laughs> when they when they show you know uh, they show two people they show Commander Riker and they show data. What is terrible about that is if you look hard enough and if you have a big enough screen with a big enough resolution, you can see that that is clearly not Data and clearly not Commander Riker. Like, they literally have some (laughs) weird stunt doubles, like, playing them. And why? Like, I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) that's Data. You know, it's like, that is not Data. That's not even close to Data. That's some guy not even wearing a Data wig. Like, that's just... Some dude standing there so they could shine a light off of him. Like that was it actually the... looked like a mannequin.
1: Actually, is yeah. was my take. Oh, was that
0: what? It, was that what you think? About?
1: That w- that's what I thought. Um, I'm not. I can't. I'm not positive, but
0: it was such a weird choice because I don't know if it looked better on the small screen back in '87, but like. I mean, why not just have the people who play them play them? Because the way <laughs> yeah. they filtered the screen, like it would be hard to see anyway. And but it's like, I mean, that's clearly not those people. <laughs> like, what the yep. hell is going on here? That was, I, I started shouting at my TV when that happened. <laughs> um, and the best I would say would would probably have to be, um, just just Worf in this episode. Just um, and his backstory and, and being able to because I, f- I feel like for the first time you not only like you know he's always been a very good character and he's been pretty consistent even throughout season one but really giving us a chance to kind of like understand Worf on a way that we didn't before and it really makes him I think you know not that he was ever unsympathetic but it makes him a really interesting and sympathetic character for for an audience I think Um, because suddenly you understand you know this episode not only does a good job of showing the culture in which he comes from, but also the anxiety and and the difficulty of being separated from that culture, which is is very much uh, a culture filled with with pride and strong emotions and uh, and and you know primal urges and drives. That um, there's even that scene where they say um, where he's talking about you know his upbringing and, and he say uh, I think it's it's um, chorus who says you know did they uh did they not understand you did they shun you were they afraid of your and like and, and literally like you can see in the way that that Michael Dorn is playing it like this is part of his background that like he had this very like primal thing inside him that was you know I am Klingon but he was surrounded by people who just you know they cared about him but they didn't really get it you know, right. mm-hmm. and I thought that was such a like they were able to do that so effectively in this episode that I was I was very impressed by it. Um,
2: yeah, there's there's a there's a level of like, you know, when you reveal sort of these unspoken norms, right, where you put Worf in a situation where he can act like a Klingon again, um, and then it, it's and I think they do a really good job deploying that through the rest of the cast as surrogates for us, right? So when Data says that, um, where Picard says, this is the first time I think anyone's ever seen the Klingon death ritual. And then Data explains it, and he doesn't go too far. It's uh-huh. not played for a joke, right? It's it's actually, it's, there's not a lot of funny stuff that happens here, right? I mean, other than Worf sort of, you know, saying, oh, at one <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but there's not, this is a serious episode, and, and they play it really straight. Uh, and i think it works really really well um, mm-hmm. and you get to get a sense of what the culture is like right and it's not laden by all the stuff you'll see in the future with the law and discommendation and and this and that um there's no politicking it's just what regular klingons would have to deal with right uh, regular broadly defined right but like the rank and file uh, what their t- what their what their tensions are in worf as you're saying like uh, as a character, and as a as a as a as someone who is uh, from two different cultures, right? What his what his tensions are, right? Yeah. Um, and they do a very good job doing that. They play it, they take it seriously, which I think is different from how they take the beta zeds. Right, they they treat them like they're uh, you know they're exotic, but in in silly ways, right? Um, but there they take the, they really want the Klingons to be um, uh, a legit you know um, fleshed out, and they, they treat them with in some sense with, with real deep respect in the rituals, right? And you you feel for that. Uh, 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 it's real. It's real to you here this episode. Or it was real to me at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, I'm guessing then to talk about our roadmap, our, our ongoing project to build the perfect watch list for, for newbies, um, for someone who's brand new to star Trek, I think, um, I'm going to guess all the way around for all the reasons that we just stated, uh, there'll be a few people with me, but I'm going to say
1: thumbs up. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Thumbs up. Yep. For sure. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah, definitely.
0: This is kind of, uh, you know, I think I said before it's, it's kind of, it's, it's the primer for the modern Klingon, but it's, Understanding this episode and understanding the perspectives like shown in this episode, I think, uh, is is really like the key to to understanding Klingons, and and they're going to play a really heavy role in a lot of Star Trek moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, so, and it's just a great episode, and it's a really good one with uh, with Michael Dorn, and hopefully that translates to. This being a great episode of the Hi-Fi Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, I know I had a lot of fun, and uh, Oslik, do you have anything you are particularly proud of and or want to point people towards uh, on <laughs> well, the internet? I
2: I, I I don't know if I'm proud of it, but I will point you to my Instagram feed. Uh, you can find me at teboslik, T-E-H. B O S S L E C, uh-huh. uh, just like in the night or in the two thousands when you all were Tez, right? Teboslek. Teboslek. And I uh, and I'm uh, I want more followers than I want posts, and I post bad pictures, poorly composed pictures of food. Um, so, uh, bad f- hashtag bad food porn. That's what you should know me for. Uh, not any of the stuff that like I'm an academic or like a serious person. <laughs> It's hashtag bad food porn. Uh, follow me on Instagram. Uh, one day I'll monetize it. Uh, that will be never.
1: Um, i I think what what our should do too is write some Klingon poetry and then send it to you on there. Take oh yeah, that would be great. Yeah, Handwritten yeah. Klingon poetry. Take a picture of it. I'll I'll like it. <laughs> send it your way. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I would absolutely like that as well. That's that's fantastic. So,
0: And I'm going to check out some of the, the bad food porn. That's awesome. So <laughs> uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us uh, once again and for this great episode. It was a pleasure to have you Thank on. you.
2: Thanks for having me on. I can't wait to uh, see you guys in season two.
0: Absolutely. So until the next episode, which uh, will be, I believe, the arsenal of freedom. Uh, until then, I'm Jason. And I'm Paul. And uh, if your spirit yearns to fly free, <laughs> then may you join your countrymen. Uh, and we will howl uh, uh, that your arrival is just around the corner.
1: <laughs> yeah, insert howl here. Howl.
0: <laughs> All right, see you next time.
1: Bye. <laughs> Never mind.